My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading for the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Then they came to Capernaum, and on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him, and with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Where would you expect to find the devil if you were looking for him? How's that for an icebreaker for your next party? In all seriousness, though, if God were to dispatch St. Michael the Archangel to stand visibly before us right here and now and ask us where we think he should go to fight Satan and his legions of demons that prowl about this earth, where would you propose would be a place for him to start? The battlefields of war between Ukraine and Russia or between Israel and Hamas. No doubt there's a lot of evil at work there. The abortion mills where innocent human life is destroyed. The vans kidnapping and enslaving innocent life into human trafficking. The labs and factories where addictive, deadly drugs are being manufactured, which, which results in another form of enslavement and destruction. These could be appropriate responses as well. Sadly, no doubt, we could probably identify many different places and scenarios where we might imagine or expect the devil to be found. Just listing the seven deadly sins, pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. It wouldn't be difficult at all for us to name very public places and spaces that don't even seem to try to hide that they're actively promoting those evil activities. And St. Michael would find more than enough work to do there. But before we send St. Michael out there, how many of us would have immediately thought or answered right here in this church at this holy sacrifice of the Mass? Thanks to movies like The Exorcist and scenes like where the priest is throwing holy water and there seems to be such a dramatic reaction to it by the person possessed, we're conditioned to think that 
just the mere presence of holy things would be enough to repel the devil. We could be lulled into thinking that this is a, a safe space from the devil. It's uncomfortable to confront this reality for sure, but it shouldn't be surprising or shocking because this gospel we just heard is from the first chapter of the gospel of St. Mark. And as St. Mark tells it, up until this point, there's been no healings or miracles. The narrative went from John the Baptist's preaching, Jesus being baptized by St. John, Jesus going out into the desert for 40 days and defeating Satan by resisting those temptations. And then Jesus returned to Galilee and called his first disciples, which we heard last Sunday. And now the very next notable stop has Jesus going 13 miles to Capernaum. It's the Sabbath, which is the holiest day of the week, and they enter the synagogue, the holiest place, where it was a place of prayer and worship and study of the Word of God. And it's there and then that the very first of Jesus' signs and wonders takes place. The very first of the exorcisms that St. Mark will recount in his Gospel happens. And Scripture talks about it so matter-of-factly. In their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. We don't get any other details about this guy. But you have to imagine that this man was, was familiar to others in the synagogue. Maybe he was there every Sabbath. Probably a member of their community. Someone that people may never have suspected was struggling with the diabolical influence. I'm kind of imagining it like those, those stereotypical news reporters in front of the house of a, a serial killer who's just been arrested, where they're interviewing the neighbors, and they're all shocked. He was nice to me. He was maybe a little quiet, but he helped me carry my groceries into my house, so I thought he was a good guy. They never imagined, let's call him Abner, was being possessed by the devil. But the reality was he was there in plain sight in the place where people least expected to find the devil, which highlights the truth that the devil is closer than we think. No, he's not just wreaking havoc on battlefields of far distant countries or in all those areas where his influence and action can be most clearly seen, as well-founded as all those assumptions might be. This guy, gospel highlights the need for every one of us to be more mindful and vigilant. The devil's closer and present and active more than we ever might have considered, including here and now. And I say that without the slightest pause or hesitation, or more importantly, without fear. Because this gospel also reminds us is that Jesus effortlessly dismantles all the devil's plans, his efforts, his schemes in a matter of moments. Most likely our, our friend Abner being possessed by the devil, that took a long time to accomplish. There were subtle decisions in his personal life. There were lukewarm responses to scriptures. There was cutting corners and following the law and the tradition that God had laid out for the chosen people, all of which created an environment 
hospitable for evil to take up residence there. There was a lack of focus, a lack of care over his spiritual life. There was a gradual shift of concern for others to self-centeredness, where he became more and more isolated and probably didn't even realize that he was welcoming evil to take up residence in his life. No, the devil was no longer in some Roman Empire official's residence or at Herod's palace. He was right there in Abner's life and heart. And the devil was probably already expanding to some of the neighbors. Maybe the leaders of the synagogue were very comfortable with simply being lukewarm. Didn't want to say anything that might challenge their congregants too much. Let's just plan the next upcoming Passover, the next Hanukkah party. Just kidding, there was no Hanukkah parties back then. But just staying on the surface, put up the facade of being a faithful follower of the Lord God. But this one Sabbath, one encounter with Jesus, and that all gets undone. And no one there is left the same. We know that because Mark tells us that as Jesus enters the synagogue and taught, the reaction was that the people were astonished. In the original Greek, that word meant they were overwhelmed by Jesus' teaching. It had such an emotional impact because Jesus, the word of God incarnate, was speaking to them. Things that spoke directly to the deepest longings of the human heart, and he spoke them with authority. They recognized Jesus wasn't saying things to make them feel better or to encourage them to just hang in there. They recognized the power and the energy of his words. His very presence dynamically transformed the synagogue on this particular Sabbath, and their defenses were dropping. And their hearts and their souls started to soar. And their hopes were being raised as God's word was not simply being uttered, but was as it had always intended to be, was alive and active. We can forget that had always been God's intention, that his word was to be alive and active, which is why we had that reading from Deuteronomy for the first reading today. When God had first given the Ten Commandments and entered into covenant with his people on Mount Sinai, Moses went up and spoke with the Lord God face to face. But the people were at the bottom of the mountain as all that was happening. And they heard thunder, and they see lightning, and the mountain was smoking. The presence and action of the Lord was so awesome, it scared them. So God listened to their cries, and he promised that he would condescend to humanity, meaning he would make himself more accessible to them to hear and see and to receive. And that's what today's first reading was reminding us of, of God's promises as we heard the Lord said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their kin, and will put my words into his mouth. He shall tell them all that I command him. The Lord God would speak his word through mere human beings like Moses and the prophets. But we humans can be fickle. 
because there's no lightning, thunder, and smoke, because a mere human being is the instrument that God uses to speak his word, we can fool ourselves into thinking it's not that important. We can condescend to God, treating his word as a suggestion, as an option, as, as something to consider, but as long as it somehow can be accommodated into our lives, into our opinions and desires and passions. And the Old Testament recounts over and over how many times and in how many ways that happened and how it always resulted in devastation. This is one of those examples where there are no grays. It's purely a black and white thing. Whenever we turn away from God and his word, it always leads us away from him and ultimately puts us on the path of destruction and devastation. That's why the psalm today demands our attention. If today you hear God's voice, harden not your hearts, we pray. Unless we look to the Lord as our rock, unless we offer him thanksgiving and worship, our hearts will harden, our faith will wane, our doubts will grow, and we're on that path to destruction and devastation. That doesn't always mean that demonic possession, it very rarely does. 99.9% .9 of the time, the devil doesn't even need to set up shop like that in us. In fact, his preferred method is by our sinning. When we just, in our full control, in our freedom and choices, we just get lazy and complacent in our spiritual lives. It reminds me of a, a student a few years ago. He came from a very Catholic home and background. He had been an altar server, a lector, been very involved in his parish, a part of his youth group. And I met him at an orientation the summer before the school year was starting, and I thought, Awesome, we got this kid who's going to be this active member. He's probably going to be a future student leader. I never saw him once the semester started that August. We had me emailed him and never heard back. And I thought, well, maybe he decided to go someplace else. It happens over the summer. Sometimes they change schools and go somewhere else. After Thanksgiving, though, one day I get this message and he asked if he could come by to see me. And it wasn't until he walked into my office with his Montclair State University sweatshirt, I realized he had been on campus for the entire fall semester, although he wasn't sure if he'd still be there in the spring. Everything was spiraling out of control. He couldn't believe that his life had become such a mess, from falling away from, from his faith to failing his classes. And he recounted how he knew where we were for Mass, that right at the beginning of the semester, he had gotten our schedule, and he was all set to join us. But the first week, there was a party. And he was just going to go, not do or take anything. Then he did do and take some things. And he felt so sick that first Sunday, he skipped Mass. As he described it, it was weird because he had never intentionally missed Mass in his entire life. But he knew that you're not obligated to go to Mass when you're sick. But because he had caused the sickness, he wondered, was that a sin? And when he mentioned this theological puzzle to some of his new friends who he had partied with, and none of them made fun of him for being Catholic because most of them were too, 
And because they were all nice and friendly people, he felt comfortable sharing his dilemma with them. Even though none of them had even the slightest inkling about going to Mass themselves unless they were being forced to by their family. Well, he said very quickly, weeks passed by, and he found himself busy, occupied, making and accepting the stupidest of excuses for not going to Mass, for not praying, for not doing all the kinds of things he never imagined missing earlier and doing things he never imagined doing. It was only after some really awful experiences personally among his friends, including one where someone almost lost their life, that he finally had a wake-up call and found himself at the Newman Center. In his case, he didn't need an exorcism. He needed to start listening to God's voice again. He needed to stop hardening his heart. He needed to do a thorough examination of conscience, and he needed to go to confession which is true for each and every one of us. If we're surprised learning that Jesus' first miracle would be an exorcism taking place on a Sabbath in the synagogue, if we're rattled by the thought that the devil could find his way into this church at this Mass, then we're probably not even imagining he's got any proximity to us in our lives which is exactly how he wants it and likes it. And that's why the gift of the Sacrament of Reconciliation is exactly that, it's a gift. The Lord has given the church the sacrament where I can confront the devil face to face. I can name the lies that I believed, the temptations that I've given into, the terrible sinful choices I've made that have weighed me down with guilt and shame. And Jesus uses the voice of his priests to cast those things out, to wipe them away, to offer us a fresh new start as we hear those words, I absolve you from your sins. St. Padre Pio once observed, the demon has only one door by which to enter into our soul, the will. There are no secret doors no sin is a sin if not committed with the will. When there is no action of the will, there is no sin, but only human weakness. Remember this, if the devil makes noise, it's a sign that he's still outside and not yet within. That which must terrify us is his peace and concord with the human soul. That which comes from Satan begins with calmness and ends in storm, indifference and apathy. As we're two and a half weeks from the start of the season of Lent, may we begin our preparations to enter into that holy season of renewal by identifying how we might have left that door open to the devil and allowed our wills to be corrupted and manipulated by him but not in fear, but in confidence, knowing that the Lord God continues to condescend to us, gently and humbly coming to us in this time and space. Unless he chooses otherwise, there's not going to be any thunder, lightning, or smoke here. But the power and the authority and the energy of this, his word, is just as effective as in a few moments his body and blood 
will be made real and present on this altar under the humblest and simplest of appearances as bread and wine. We don't shudder at his presence on our altar, but we shouldn't be numb or treat his coming as something ordinary because he comes to pour out his love and his mercy and the power of his presence into our very lives. May we hear this invitation and not harden our hearts.